of having rooms ready to Pharaoh. And we say that and, and it's like, oh, we're just going to turn the lights on and everything's going to be fine. But, you know, having the, the, the drying powder ready, having our treatment trays ready and having them set up saves us pigs. You know, having the teat count exactly where we want it on the card saves us time, makes us more efficient and again, saves us pigs. And that didn't come from me. That came from somebody who said, you know, when we're ready, we save pigs. We should, we should make this a general SOP. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's be ready. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think you're exactly right. You got to listen to the people because um, the people and the pigs tell us everything. Swanet. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Genesis, the first power in genetics. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Minitube, the worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. NutriQuest, Experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Adiseo, a worldwide leader in animal nutrition. Our company offers specialized technical support for nutritionists, veterinarians, and other animal production professionals. Our portfolio of programs and services include a wide array of high-performing feed solutions, such as essential nutrients, palatability, feed preservation, mycotoxin management, and health by nutrition. To learn more about our company, visit us at www.adiseo.com. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Laura Greiner, today with your Swine It podcast. And I have PJ Corns with me. PJ Corns is a uh, director of sow production with JDS currently. How are you today, PJ? I am very good. Thank you for having me. Good. Well, we're glad to have you here today. PJ, there might be some people in the audience who aren't familiar with you or your background. Would you mind sharing just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, um, I've grown up in the pig business. I um, uh, graduated from college and went uh, right to work um, with Smithfield Foods back in North Carolina. Um, I'm kind of dating myself there back in the mid 90s um, and, and worked, worked through that system and then um, went to the Midwest, um, started working for some producers in the Midwest. And then um, uh, let me think about 2012, um, took the opportunity to go work for PIC, genetic company, and uh, that, that took me over to Europe as technical service director, um, and then uh, worked, worked over there for quite some time with them, and about 2015, 
um, basically took on the role of a production consultant, business consultant, still in Europe, um, working a lot of time in, um, well, you know, Spain, um, Eastern Europe, um, Denmark, um, and then places like Russia and China. So a lot of time international lately and came to work here, JBS, roughly about six or seven months ago, came back to the States and uh, yeah, it's been a fun ride and uh, continue on. Wonderful. Well, that sounds like a great experience, particularly having both the U.S. and international experiences in swine yes, production. I'm sure you've seen a lot of different things over the years. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> One of the things that I, I know you're passionate about, because obviously you're you're in sow production, is, is really you know, pig care and, and day one pig care in particular, as well as piglet survivability. So when you think about some of the the key points that you focus on when you talk to people, when you're talking about day one pig care, what are some, some big take homes that you, you really want people to think about when they start talking about day one pig care? So, yeah, when we look at that, so day one pig care is such a, such a big subject, you know? So um, I actually, a lot of times we start that and actually we've done that here in my current role at JBS, we, we start that topic in gestation. Um, looking at um, things like body condition. So we take a real, real hard focus on that because um, I've, I've learned through time, um, you know, as we focus on body condition and, uh, you know, sometimes confuses people because it's like, let's talk about pre-wean and we go out to gestation. But we start to see that take on because our, our goal is, as we look at ideal condition sows, as we get more of those ideal condition sows moving into farrowing, um, we see good things happen, you know? So um, we see good pigs, we see good sows milking, we see sows eating, we see uh, litter birth weights higher and variation, less variation in those. So um, I kind of caught on to that as I started seeing the fruits of our emphasis there, making things better in farrowing. So that, that's a big one. And, you know, um, what been doing quite some time now is the training and teaching around, you know, managing that colostrum curve. You know, I always like to say, um, I only have one graph and it's that colostrum curve um, and really focusing our labor on that and our management and our intensity around that. And, um, you know, I also think, you know, uh, we, we've moved away somewhat from our pigmentship, from our stockmanship, from our ability to read sows, to uh, know if the ventilation is right, and to know if the pig comfort level is right. So really focusing on those areas is, uh, it gets us results. Um, and, and it's fun to teach and, and, you know, we see people, it's not that complicated, but our management of ourselves, you know, and managing the, uh, the uh, how to say it, the, you know, the operation or the process is, is, is pretty fun to do. And I think people like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree. I think you brought up a really good point about body condition score and gestation. So um, body condition is, is obviously a huge topic and it can be so subjective, right? It's, it's whatever I'm looking at today and how I feel, I think she's a three or a four thin or normal, whatever you, however you define body condition. 
Um, but I think it's also sometimes difficult for our producers because different genetics look different. And so when you talk about ideal body condition, what are some generalities in terms of an ideal body condition that you look for in the South? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and we actually, in, a, in our system, have two different ways to look at that, that kind of form our SOP around that. And that's, uh, we use the caliper. Um, so that's a very yes, no, you know, so that's a very good thing. And we also use a three point score um, on the ribs, the H bone and the pin bone. That's a little bit more refined as far as training goes, um, but we can be really aggressive with that. And by what, by that, I mean, you know, so we do it at breed 30, 60, and 90. All that's programmed in my head, how to do that, when to do that. But we'll be aggressive. And what I mean by that is at breed in 30 days, I, we say if it's a, on a three score, two being ideal, one's thin, and three's heavy. If we think one or two, we'll call it a one at that, at that beginning stages. And if we think a two or a three, we'll call it a three. So we drive things to those ideal conditions. Um, and, and our goal, and we track that. It's actually called a tracker. Um, yeah, I try to be have some thoughtful ideas. That's not one of them. That's a body condition tracker, and we've, we've had that in place for some time. Um, so we watch those body conditions move because, again, we know when 80% of the sows go into farrowing in ideal body condition, we start to have different conversations, you know, around more pigs than teats, you know, how are we going to handle all these pigs? The sows are eating good. So um, again, that's, that's the fun conversations to have. Absolutely. Any concerns or any thoughts around, do you try to get your sow in ideal body condition by day 30 or by day 60? Or do you feel like that's kind of that moving target where we just want her there, you know, definitely by day 60, but, you know, we'll give a little bit here and there. Yeah, so we'll we'll like I said, we'll be aggressive. So we and we we watch that. We're um, I think at JBS now. I don't think I know. We got right at thirty thousand sows in this test, watching them move through gestation, um, and and we we want. There's different ways to get to that, but to make it simple, from my simple standpoint, it's let's be eighty percent by you know, 90 days to move those in. And I guess when we do that, when we look at that, when we focus, not all groups are like that. For every group we got at 95, we'll have a group at 65, but we react to that. We try to react quickly on that. Are you ready for the most innovative web conference of the swine industry? Swine Talks, the TED Talks of the global swine industry on October 6th and 7th, 2021, with over 25 internationally renowned speakers who will deliver powerful and engaging talks. Reserve now your spot at swinetalks.com. How about working with your nutritionist? Because I know, especially right now, feed prices are so high. And obviously, people are trying to put in different ingredients to, to keep feed costs low. But with that, sometimes our energy levels might change. You know, are, are you having those conversations regularly with the nutritionist to change how much you're feeding those sows to get them into the right body condition? Yeah, so I've got the great fortune of working with a nutritionist by the name of Dr. Kyle Coble. Um, and I talk to Kyle probably two or three times a day. Um, 
two times a day about pig production, the other time about something else, probably way off. But we talk about that and, and I can say we are aligned every step of the way. Um, we, we um, you know, whether it's pellet quality, whether it's, uh, you know, feed flow ability, we stay very close on that. And he's part of the, he's part of this team. Um, so we're, we're fairly close on that. And I, I value that relationship. It's not always perfect. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure Dr. Coble will say that, but at least we're working on that. He's got a very good understanding of what we want to do. Um, because again, he has seen what happens when we get those sows in good condition. Um, they, we have very good conversations and it gets really fun. Absolutely. I think that's just a key point for our, our listeners to think about is you know, the calipers are great, but you have to line up with, okay, well, if it's reading as a one, you know, what does that mean in terms of pounds of feed or kilos of feed to that sow? And if our diets change, then obviously that amount changes. So that's good to hear that you're visiting with the nutritionist and working closely because, you know, obviously those things are going to be tied together pretty closely. Yeah, I think we have a good yin and yang. I'm, I'm, I'm coming from a, this is what we're seeing. This is what I got. And Dr. Koble's got the science built around it. So um, yin and yang, beauty and the beast, whatever, however you <laughs> want to say it. Sure, sure. Well, the other thing you mentioned there is when you have those sows farrowing, you know, the first thing we're obviously concerned about when we think about day one pig care is colostrum, right? And, and you use the word colostrum curve, and some of our audience may not be familiar with what you're talking about. So could you talk a little bit more about what the colostrum curve really is to you? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take a hack at this um, uh, because, yeah, I'm not the expert on the the science, but I can tell you, um, you know, the, that the, the colostrum is the, the antibodies, right, that are produced in the first, we'll say, 18 hours of, of, of birth. So um, what it really comes down to for, for us and, and for me being the simple person I am is, you know, we manage that time frame around there. So we know at birth, it's in, it's in increments of six, birth, six, 12, and 18. You know, from birth to six, that colostrum is cut in half. And by 12 hours, we're at the teat, um, you know, they've established teat order. And by 18, we just draw the line there. That's when, um, you know, mother nature and our SOP says, you know, that the colostrum is done. So we're really on the clock there. And we work um, um, with a sense of urgency, but controlled urgency within that first zero to six hours to make sure pigs are warm, to make sure sows are comfortable. And our whole goal during that time frame, as simple as it sounds is, we want pigs on teats. And I think that's fundamental as we teach that, it's we want pigs on teats. So everything we do from warming the pigs to um, our SOP and many others built around the 20 to 30 minute monitoring process is built around getting pigs on teats because then we get colostrum and then everything else makes our job easier once we get that pig on a teat. So um, our labor, our building, our records and our technology is built around making sure we do that job. That's a very good point. So one of the things that came to my mind when you were talking about focusing the labor and, and getting pigs on teats is you mentioned with 
with good gestation feeding and good body condition scoring, we get, you know, typically more pigs than what we do teeth. So when we talk about colostrum, how are you managing that when you have those litters of 20 and, and a sow with 16 teats? You know, what's, what's the process we should be thinking about? Yeah, so again, it, it goes back to no matter if we have a born alive of 14 or whether we have a born alive of 18 to 19, especially dealing with some Danish genetics from, from, from my past. Again, it all, it, it, it's the same basics, you know, getting those pigs warm, getting those pigs on teats and keeping the mother comfortable. Um, as far as how to do that, um, that, that might change with, with different systems. Um, you know, in our system and many others, uh, you know, we will, we will mark the first five to six pigs that are born. So we know um, that those are the first pigs, obviously, in the birth order that are in there. So they stand the greatest chance of um, getting colostrum. And as we're working the room, once we hit that 14th pig, that's when the decision comes into, um, you know, uh, something like split suckling, where we'll take those five to six pigs. Again, we've assumed that they've gotten colostrum because we can't sit there. We're busy where we have anywhere from 12 to 17 litters that we've got to attend to. But we'll separate those litters for 90 minutes, giving those other pigs a chance to get on teats. And I can tell you, there's nothing. Um, I, I've seen it. I try to look at it every day when we teach that, when we take those teaching moments, when you can take that litter of 19, 20 pigs and you've split suckled and you've gotten everybody on a teat, that's a recipe for success. You know, we know now that that's a, that's a pre-wean mortality that's going to hit our benchmarks and that's, those are going to be high quality pigs. So um, to answer your question, those large litters, what we're seeing, We'll use split suckling, um, and, and we might do that for two to three days, especially on smaller pigs, where we do that to keep those pigs on teats. And again, it all comes down to also the labor allocation around that. We, we know intimately, um, you know, somebody like me, I can get around to about 10 to 12 liters in an hour. The high-end people who we have working for us can get into that 16 to 17 liters per hour really moving. We're trying to be as efficient as possible there. And actually, we're looking at technology now that's going that could potentially help us monitor that whole process because we're still writing on cards like I did when I first started in Fairwing way back when. But is there a better way to use that? Is there applications out there that can help us monitor our behaviors around what we do in Fairwing? And I, I, I tend to think so. So we can gain, we can wean more. Because I think what happened was, especially back in the early, you know, 2000 teens, you know, as we saw that total born increasing, taking PD aside, we didn't really capture those pigs, you know. And I think we said, we got to get better at this, you know. We can't just see total born going up by four pigs and us weaning the same. We got to get better at this. So um, technologies, labor allocation and, and better use of our management time and how we manage that has gotten us results. You keep saying labor allocation. And, and so that brings me to a question. Um, and I've seen it on different farms where we have obviously a, a group of individuals that are monitoring the sows as they're farrowing. 
But then I've seen farms where they dedicate truly one or two people, and that's all they do is what we call the day one care. So they're going around and they're you know, making sure those pigs are warm and dry. They're putting them in the split suckle buckets. They're marking, they're rotating pigs around, providing medications if needed, you know, doing all of the things that we would see there. Is that what you're referring to when you say labor allocation or is it something different? Yeah, and, and I think um, I learned this a while ago and I think, I think we got that expertise from, from the, our colleagues in Chile who taught us, you know, um, it's, it's about specializing, specializing that labor, you know. So if you've got somebody who's good at this job, you know, who's good at this task and executes and get results, we should put them in the most critical jobs that we got. Things like guilt management, things like body condition, heat check, and day one pig care. Um, so we, we tend to specialize that labor because when we look at that, you know, day one pig care specialist, that's a fairly narrow SOP. When we look at that, that's about, well, it isn't. It's exactly six SOPs in our system that we work on. But those are six. When we talk about warming pigs, we have a way of physically doing that, that we say, this is the right way to do it. This is the perfectly dried off pig. And we strive to do that on 90% of our pigs a day. So that's, a, as we say, a narrow job description and sometimes it's more important about what you don't do versus what you do. Because when we get out of those six SOPs, when we get out of that task, I think uh, we would call that creep, <laughs> you know, um, that's when we don't see the results we want to see. So we tend to focus very heavily on those, on those tasks. And generally that is, um, a, you know, depending upon the size of the farm, that is specialized labor in that critical area. I think that's a really good point. And you talk about the specialized labor and particularly animal husbandry. So you brought that up as one of your key items that we should be thinking about during this discussion. And it brought a thought to my head. So do all the right things, right? We get the pigs warm and dry and get the colostrum in them. And then that next step, that next step is that cross fostering step. And to me, that's almost as critical as, as the colostrum because um, I've actually seen it. When I was in production, I had an individual who spent his whole time just watching the piglets after he had fostered and made sure every pig had a teat, that there was no fighting whatsoever. And if there was, right, pig got picked up and moved and reallocated. And he actually did 112 sows with a 0% mortality out of a 20-day you know, lactation. What what should we strive for when we start thinking about beyond day one and the animal husbandry, right? Because I think about that piece all the time. How do we help people and how do we train our people that don't come from an agricultural background, you know, learn those skills? That's a tough one. First of all, if you could give me that gentleman's or, or <laughs> lady's <laughs> name when we're done, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, yeah. But, you know, um, it's, it's that whole stockmanship thing. And I, and I think um, one, of, one of the things that I've been passionate about for the last, I don't know, 18 months to two years is, you know, the creep area of the pig. You know, are we managing that correctly? And how many times I myself would walk by a litter that is scattered throughout the, the crate? And, you know, it might be minus 30 outside, um, you know? So it's like, 
I think we forgot about that step. And, and you know, because we'll revert everything back to day one pig care. You know, if we've got a pig die at day 10, if we've got mortality late, we'll again go back to day one and say, hey, what, what, what did we not execute here? Normally, 90% of the time, we'll, 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 we'll see things that we can get better at there. But we cannot disregard the creep area, managing that and managing that piglet comfort area. Because again, if we look at it, fundamentally, it's the same exact Fairwind crate as we've been using for a long time, at least 20 years. You know, so that space is critical. So how we manage that, I think um, we tend to, I think we lost our way a little bit on that as an industry. And I'd say that globally. Um, so I think um, I myself, we're, we're getting, we're trying to get better at that, you know, keeping the sow comfortable and keeping the pig comfortable. Because once we're out of that day 10 range, we, there should be no mortality, you know, and if that's mortality, then we tend to say, you know, uh, especially a crushed pig in that range, we've got some quick diagnostics we, we teach during that because that's normally either an environmental issue or that is a milking issue or a colostrum issue. But normally that's an environmental issue when you get out to that weight. And um, the other thing that's been a real emphasis for us here um, at JBS has been about teaching ventilation. Because again, I think we've lost our way in the, the mathematics of um, calculating minimum ventilation for a farrowing room, you know, 20 CFMs per crate, calculating the fan, um, and, and getting people, getting managers, getting leadership on farm to, to feel empowered, to not be intimidated by all these fancy controllers we got, but um, to be able to manage that to get the results we want. So. Um, Again, to answer your question on that mortality later, um, we, we, we take that hard. Every pig that dies out later, we need to look at and, and determine why that's happening. And again, revert back to day one pig care. What could we have done better there? And then again, we got to look at that environmental factors of what's happening out that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's so important. I know one of the numbers I used to use a lot, and I don't know if it actually still stands, is that two-thirds of our pre-wean mortality occurs within the first 48 hours of life. Always, yes. Right? Yeah. And so it's it's so important to investigate and invest so much of our time and effort into those those first few days. And and I do think you're right. It, it evolves. You know, we understand what's happening, but how do we change the behavior on the farm to, you know, to adjust as well so that you can reduce that mortality, right? So... My experience says, and especially with my time at PIC and, and, and working in that business advising role, you know, a, a lot of the times, um, you know, it's really easy to point out the challenges, okay? You know, if you go in a farm and you're at 15% pre-wean, you know, as, as a grower told me a few weeks ago, I don't want my pre-wean any higher, <laughs> you know? Um, so it, that's, that's fundamentally really easy, you know? Um, and, and, I, and I think back to my time in uh, working for a very large producer in China. Um, you know, when I went to China, I would spend a month there. And, and going in this particular system, you know, I kept hearing for the first week about pre, what was it called? Previous American experts. 
you know, oh, our previous American expert said this. And I went through that for about the first week. I got more comfortable with the, with the director there. And, you know, I, I finally said, what did they say to you? You know, what did those previous, because I, I was just interested. And, and he said, well, they told us we needed to focus on these two areas. And during this whole time frame, I kept saying, why am I here? You know, what do you want me to do? And they kept saying, the next step. We need to take the next step. And so when I started talking about those previous American experts, I asked them, I said, were they right? And the director said, they were exactly right. Really good. So I slept on that a day, came back to them, and I said, if they were so right, why am I here and where are they? And he said, because we need you to take us to the next step. The whole time I thought the next step was just some motto, but they really physically or, or literally meant the next step was we knew pre-wean mortality was an issue. They already knew that, but they needed things built in place. You know, they needed processes. You know, they had these huge SOPs and we had we wanted to pick those out, which we felt like we could put in place like a recipe. You know, we were going to put them in place first and execute with labor allocation and benchmarking. So literally, I go back to that, that thing in China and, and pretty much everywhere. Most people know 80% what the issues are, what they really need, and including I think of myself when I managed a farm, what I really needed was, what's that next step? Like the Chinese taught me, it wasn't just a motto on a t-shirt, it was how can I align myself and my leadership in this thing, this huge thing called day one pig care to focus and make results. So, um, and that's what I find really fun also. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate listening to all of the, the different experiences you've had. And so when you think globally and you think about day one pig care, what do you see across the whole swine industry as our, our biggest issue that's, that's stopping us from being successful in, in lowering premium mortality consistently as an industry? Yeah, I wish, uh, I wish I had all the answers to that, but um, that, that, that is a very tough question. But um, I, I, I try to look at correlations um, in, in things, and um, we've got the correlation of those 80% those sows going into farrowing in an ideal condition. I know that starts us winning. Um, but but there's there's kind of that that mindset of um, maybe not so much focus on how many pigs were mortality today or how many stillborns, but focus on we got 95% of our pigs on teats. We got 100% of our pigs warmed up why we were here, why we were attending fairwings, and we got um, to 80% of our sows within the 20 minutes like our SOP says. So I think when we can execute at that level, those things kind of come into place. And again, I'm a simple person. So when I like those uh, condition score coming into place, we've got colostrum management in place, we're warming pigs, those things tend to come together. And then when we look daily, did we win or lose? We'll have a, fair, we'll have a premium mortality that's below our target most of the time you know so that's what we tend to go for um so I, I think when we can focus on those things that we do 
Um, we focus on how we manage around that process, you know, and I think that's one of the fun things here at JBS is on our, on our bi-weekly production calls where we have people who are feel empowered as leaders that, you know, it doesn't take all day to troubleshoot a pre-wean challenge, you know, it takes X amount of time and developing an action plan and following up and setting benchmarks. I think that's where I see our managers, and that, that's not just a JBS, but globally, where people feel empowered that they're making changes. And, you know, that could be guilt management, that could be biosecurity, could be anything, how we work ourselves. And I think pre-wean is one of those. How are we looking at that from a leadership standpoint? And how are we affecting that? If that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, to me, it was always valuable when you're in a farm. To, to talk to the workers, the people that are actually doing the animal care and, and hearing what they think is working and what's not working, because sometimes that can give us the information we need to figure out how to create those plans of action, right? Is, is listening to them and, and hearing what they have to say. So I think it's a perfect example. Absolutely. And seeing what works, you know, um, you know, again, I try to see what works and, and copy that, you know, and a lot of the things are, um, and, I, and I learned this really from our Delhart operation, there is nobody better in the business than our Delhart operation of having rooms ready to ferro. And we say that, and, and it's like, oh, we're just going to turn the lights on and everything's going to be fine. But, you know, having the, the, the drying powder ready, having our treatment trays ready and having them set up saves us pigs, you know, having the teat count exactly where we want it on the card saves us time, makes us more efficient, and again, saves us pigs. And that didn't come from me. That came from somebody who said, you know, when we're ready, we save pigs. We should, we should make this a general SOP. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's be ready. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think you're exactly right. You got to listen to the people because um, the people and the pigs tell us everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think you have some very good takeaways today. I think, um, you know, when I hear you talk, you know, focusing on body condition of that sow, making sure she's in tip top shape, ideal condition by 90 days, getting her ready to come into Pharaoh, having those rooms ready, set up, um, being ready to go physically so that when you do get those, those pigs on the ground, you can manage that colostrum curve you know, get that colostrum into them by 12 to 18 hours. And uh, then of course, troubleshooting along the way and, and having action plans put in place. So I think those are all really good suggestions for our, our listeners when we think about day one pig care and reducing preween mortality, which is so critically important for our industry. Yes, ma'am. It is time to our famous three. When it comes to the health of your herd and your bottom line, no guts means no glory. Lawsonia and Salmonella are two bacteria that work together to destroy the microbiome of a pig's gut, which can slow average daily gain. Only vaccinating against one can leave profit on the table. Protect against both with Procyllisillitis for Lawsonia and Argus SCST for Salmonella. A productive herd starts with a healthy gut. And a healthy gut starts with Entric Health Solutions from Merck Animal Health. Learn more at buildahealthygut.com.
an animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry. The combination of AB Vista enzymes, technical services, and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a stimbiotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact NAM at abvista.com. That's N-A-M at abvista.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. One of the, the things as we wrap up our conversation today is Marcio always likes for us to, to ask a few questions, and, and so we'll start that process. Um, the first question that we always ask our, our uh, speaker for the day is, what's your favorite swine resource book? If you have a book that's on your shelf that's kind of your go-to book, what would that be? You know, the one thing that I have referred to ever, ever since I've gotten to this business is the, is the Swine Disease Handbook, you know. Um, um, and I, <laughs> I would like to not have to look at that so much, but I do. And, uh, you know, I can remember being in Europe with, uh, with um, um, you know, the veterinarians there talking about a Jeski disease, you know, a Jeski. And I'm like, yeah, a Jeski. And then going to my disease handbook saying, what is this? And I'm like, oh, that's PRV, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, that's been a good book. I've had that for a long time. And, yeah, there's some well-worn pages in that book. So it's been very helpful to me. Absolutely. I think it was actually a request of ours one year for a Christmas gift. Oddly enough, was was getting that book from, from our family for Christmas. So I, I understand it is a very good resource. I, I don't know whether that's really smart or sad. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, we were grad students. We didn't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? There you go. <laughs> Um, the next question I have is, if we think outside of swine books, what's a what's a good book that you enjoy reading, whether it's for just enjoyment or for professional development? Well, yeah. So my 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 boss, um, Dr. Matthew Turner, um, and again, showing a little bit how boring of a person I am, um, he he challenged and and I just love the book. It's about Deming management, um, you know, and and the the. The processes, you know, we're very process driven, um, and 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 we're trying to, um, you know, take that Deming management learning and and you know apply it to you know not only our processes but making those easy for easy for folks. Um, um, I heard the gentleman from Russia on your your podcast, you know, talk about well maybe people can't read those, you know, that's a reality. So you know, um, we're going to make those digital, you know, and we're going to make those processes. And I, and I guess I just think back to, you know, Dr. Turner asking us to, as a leadership group to read that, how that applies, you know, back to when Deming was putting that in place in the fifth, in the forties and fifties to how that applies today. And, you know, really challenging our thinking on our processes, making them easy, making them, um, you know, um, applicable to what happens, and I think people like video much better than just reading things. So that that's really been a, that, that book's great. I think that's a great idea with the videos. I think that'll, that'll serve a lot of people well. Yes, in various languages also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. 
Well, the last question I have for you uh, today, PJ, is, is really around if you think about people that you identify as successful and, and it's whatever success looks like to you because everybody defines success differently. But what characteristics do you think of or qualities do you think of with those individuals that, that you would define as successful? We talk about winning the day, you know, um, um, and, and we take that very important because sometimes just in our business, you know, how our information flows, it's always, you know, usually historical, you know, so we, we talk about, did we win the day? So it's, it's, I think what makes people successful and who I like to surround myself with is, um, you know, and it's the same in sports, you know, you want winners, you know, where you want people who want to win and it's not always a win, you know, <laughs> it's not always a win, but we'll never take our eye off of that. You know, we'll never concede and we'll always push forward. And, uh, and I think that's in any business really, isn't it? That, you know, people want to win. People are going to stay positive when it's, we're not winning. Um, and we'll keep our eye on that. So, um, and, and I'm fortunate enough to be around the Dr. Turners of the world and the Dr. Kobolds of the world. They're going to owe me a, a lunch for saying this, but you know, those are positive people. They want to win and, and that's what we want to do. So, um, and it makes it fun and exciting, you know, and that's, that's why I get up out of bed in the morning to, to go win, you know, and that's the people I work with are the same way. I think that's a, a great characteristic and quality to think about, you know, absolutely people that are driven to do well. And, and you're right. We don't always, we don't always hit the ball, right? Sometimes we do strike out, but we get up and try again. We'll swing and miss, but we get right back up and we'll take another swing. Yeah. Shooters absolutely. shoot is what we say. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. I greatly appreciate your time today. Um, and certainly your insight into day one pig care. And, and again, for our audience, this is PJ Corns with JBS. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for your time. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.